Plot the course, 213 Mach 9. Engage. <laughs> This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Fitz Walker, and here in his bunker is Terry Dunn. Howdy, y'all. And over in the fallout shelter number two is Lee Ray. Hello. Hey, guys. Glad to see you again. What's new this week? So, uh, it was two weeks ago, right? Yeah, two weeks ago, I... Did I mention I was getting the Champ S Plus? You mentioned it to us. I'm not sure it was on the show. Yeah, so because I know it, you, I remember you ribbing me for not getting the, the Pawnee Brave, but I picked up the Champ uh, S Plus for my son, Austin. It was his birthday present, and uh, we, uh, we got it on Tuesday, or he got it on Tuesday. We flew it on Tuesday. Um... It's a neat little plane, brushless, a little bit bigger than his other Hobby Zone champ. Uh, first Maiden went well, uh, got a video of it. We had two glitches with the plane. I've already called Horizon Hobby on it. And uh, we had an aileron stick, and the plane got into a nice tight turn. And uh, the video actually, you can hear the aileron zip back during flight because uh, Austin was fighting it. So we were troubleshooting it, turned the, the gyro off. So we're currently flying the plane in indoor mode, which disables the GPS completely and all those uh, other added benefits of this plane, which is the uh, virtual fence and auto land. And it seemed to have done better. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's a good little plane, and he's very happy with it. So I think it was a nice upgrade. So did you figure out specifically what caused the uncommanded turn we do not uh our best guess and i've mentioned it to a couple of people in the rc groups thread uh is that you really need to calibrate the plane first the instructions don't tell you to it only suggests you recalibrate the gps if it's having difficulty landing um so we did not do that step and we'll we'll do it next time the weather has not been keen to to try again Wait, wait, how do you calibrate GPS? There's actually a calibration function uh, step procedure where you turn the transmitter on with the sticks in a certain position. It sends out a beep. You rotate the plane in several axes, axi, <laughs> axes, and, uh, and then it, you know, centers out. So uh, it, they're there. I just didn't do it. But we think yes. what happened is that it hit the virtual fence, which is uh, 400 feet. Once it goes away from 400 feet from takeoff, it tries to send the plane back to where you were and then hover. So, By hover, you mean it uh, orbits around a certain point? Hover was the incorrect word. Orbit was the better choice of words. Or loiter. One, one point for Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, that's it. It just was in a tight turn. You could see the aileron stuck. Um and the other thing we did was we turned off, uh, well, we never in, even flew it. I take it back. We switched it to expert mode immediately. I trust my son. Uh, he's a good pilot. He could fly the champ with a breeze. So we didn't even attempt to do any of the beginner mode stuff. So it was in expert mode. But even so, the virtual fence is still active. So by turning the plane into indoor mode, you have more control. So in the indoor mode... 
what's the appeal of this airplane? Is it fun? Is it stable? Is it fast? It what's does it like it. It's no different at all. I mean, it's it. The only benefit I see having it is if you want to, if you're a beginner, strict beginner, beginner, and you're worried you're gonna, you know, lose sight of it, <laughs> fly too far, you know, lose control, because it has that feature. If you let go of the sticks in beginner mode, it will level itself, you know, and then you could push the little um, button on top to have it circle. Uh, we didn't use that. I, again, I'm going from, I just wanted to see how the plane flew. And if you want to see it land, I mean, I, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> I guess I didn't even, I don't trust those features at this time. I want to, I want to see the plane fly on its own, see what it can do. So compare it to the Ultra Micro Champ. The old, the older Hobby Zone? Yeah, the small one. This is considerably bigger, correct? It's a 2S system and other stuff. It's bigger. Uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem that much. I mean, yes, if you put the two together, it does. But um, I don't know if you've seen the video. Did you see the video I posted? I've seen the video of the uncommanded turn. Was there another one as well? Yeah, there's another one of Austin. I. The reference was to just see him holding it. It. It doesn't seem that bigger. The. The biggest benefit. Uh, or upgrade for this aircraft is the ailerons, so you have more control. And the second would be it's a brushless motor; it has way more power. Uh, with rudder and elevator, the um, the older Champ tends to snap a little more if you you know go too hard on it. But it's very light, very stable, a great plane. Um, so having the extra wingspan, it, this uh, this one does float, but she's a little faster because she you know she's got more weight too. So I'd say the flight characteristics are similar, but there you know you do have we did get to roll and loop it, so that's nice. All right. So sounds like you're not in love, but you could get there. Yeah, yeah. I again like the champ. Uh, glad I got it. He likes flying it. We just we need to feel confident that we've troubleshooted the problem. And once we get past that, I think it'll be a much more fun plane to fly. All right. I look forward to another report on it. Well, I know something coming up. Uh, Motion RC has a new plane in their Flightline RC lineup. And this one is a F8 F1 Bearcat. This is a 1200 millimeter or 47 inch uh, foamy, but it looks really nice. It's got uh, even... Looks like sequencing gear doors on it, and uh, it's a full full house setup, including flaps and retracts. And it's a nice uh, navy blue color scheme, and it kind of popped up. I guess it's, um, it's not quite out yet. It looks like they're taking pre-orders, but I was really surprised to see it. And Bearcats are always a really neat-looking plane to see fly around. There's not a whole lot of models of them. And it uh, uh, looks like they have two power options, one... With a four, the scale four-blader prop, and then a higher KV motor for a two-blader prop, which are advertising to be somewhat in the area of 15 miles per hour faster than the four-blader prop setup. So, I guess you have options whether you want to tool around or do high-speed passes on deck, that kind of stuff. Uh, don't know if you guys had a chance to take a see it or take a look at it. I did, and the video looks pretty good, and it's got a nice scale appearance to it. it Looks like a Bearcat. Yeah, Bearcat. One's on a four-cell, 2,500 to 4,000 milliamp power battery pack. So you got a good choice of batteries you can run in it. Which prop would you choose? 
And that's a question for both of you. I'd probably go with a two-blader just because it's a warbird and I want to go fast and turn left and go fast and go up. But that's just me. What about you, Lee? Two-blade. I'd go, I'd like the speed. Yeah, I think we all agree on that. The scale props are nice, but once they start spinning, you can't tell the difference anyway. So <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a case where vanity is not that important to me. I don't think I've ever seen a bear cat in this color scheme. You're being facetious, right? Is that just the overall dark blue? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, no, I'm not not joking, Fitz. I mean, all the ones I've seen have been much more colorful, especially like when that uh, purple, the the hmm. a rare bear, the, the Reno, yeah, the Reno racer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are much more colorful. Yeah, I did kind of see, I thought about that too when I first saw it. It's it's all the same color, top and bottom, except for some navy livery. So it looks like at some points it might be a bit of a flying a silhouette at some point. It would have been nice. Yeah, the but, the World War II Navy planes are tough that way. The, the all over blue. Yeah, and a lot of them didn't really have much for color variation, so you're kind of stuck unless you find an odd um, version or something that had a different color scheme. Well, I think the yellow is what's doing it for me. Most of the Bearcats that I've seen that are blue, the dark, dark blue, have a white lettering mm. numbering scheme. Well, this one's got a yellow. You know, like, well, actually, this one, they said, has two decal sets in there. So one is a Blue Angels and then the Naval Reserve. So I don't know. Maybe there is a white set of decals. Oh, so the... you get to choose. Oh, that's nice. Did you mention that? Yeah, yeah. I just did. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. You reminded me. <laughs> uh, well, good. I, I, then that's kind of neat. But I think I, I think in this case, I prefer the yellow. Which is the Blue Angel version? Mm-hmm. Yes. If I recall, the Bearcats were the first Blue No, they weren't the first Blue Angels. No, uh, they flew Hellcats. the Hellcats first. Yeah, Hellcats first. But yeah. very briefly, I think. I think the Hellcats were the proof of concept, and then they went to the Bearcats shortly after. Yeah, that sounds right. And I read a book by one of the guys who was in that initial group, and he was talking about when they went to the Grumman factory to pick up their Bearcats, something about they had to put lead in the tail to make it balance right, and they'd forgotten to do that. So they had a very hairy first flight of their Bearcats. Oh. Yeah. And it was something like 50 pounds of lead that it needed to balance. So. Oh. Good yeah, I'll have lead. to grab that book again and, and make sure I'm telling the truth. What's funny with this model is we were talking about AS3X. They made a point to, to point out that there is a space for a gyro in this model. It doesn't include one, but it's hey, there's a, uh, you can accommodate a flight stabiliz stabilization gyro. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny that they, that's at the point where they're now advertising that you can put a gyro in it, specifically mm. in a certain spot. Yeah. They're marketing to Lee, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, I'm going to reiterate, funny. don't have a problem with them. <laughs> Just want to have the option to turn it off. It's <laughs> not nearly as much fun to talk about, though. I know. I just thought it was funny. Is that it's usually not a problem finding a space for a gyro in a plane this size, but that they made sure that you can really put one in right here, right there. See what the arrow's pointing at? Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, it's a nice-looking model, and uh, um, I hope to see some at the field when they come out. Go to Motion RC and they'll you can pre-order one yours today. And what do those go for? Uh, like one I saw was bucks? two hundred bucks. I think that was receiver ready. Okay, that's not bad. 
And yeah. it's, did you say the magic 1,200 millimeter size? It's 1,200 millimeters. You can't go wrong there. 1,200 mms. <laughs> well, another new plane that I noticed is from Tower Hobbies, and it is an ultimate biplane. And the span on that thing is like 45 or 46 inches, which doesn't sound very big. But I recently got one here, and it's a big airplane. So the, the numbers are deceiving. So I guess because an ultimate is as wide as it is long. But it's a 6S system. Um, you can fly it either glow or electric. I'm going to go electric. and uh, I'm looking forward to building it. So far, it looks really nice. It's balsa and ply with... I think the cowling is fiberglass. I'll have to look at it again. Uh, looks like a very nice kit. Well done. The covering is all nice and tight on it. So I'm looking forward to getting it together and in the air. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I thought the exact same thing. I said, 45 inches doesn't sound terribly big. And then I saw the video, and you can see the comparison to the pilot next to it. And it's actually a pretty substantial airplane. Yeah, I'm going to be running a 16-inch prop on this guy. Wow. So. Yeah, real flying Cuisinart. <laughs> yeah, should have plenty of thrust on that. Yeah. But based on the video, it looked like it flew really nice. I could, I could see myself flying one of those myself. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if it's a 3D airplane or just a standard aerobatics. I would guess not 3D, but just because it's a little bit heavy, I think it's a six-pound airplane. But that capability could be there. Well, you got a big prop on it. You might be able to coax something out of it. Big prop, big rudder. It's probably more capable than I am of 3D maneuvers, but it'll be interesting to try it out. I saw something interesting. You're advertising that you can use actually four servos for the ailerons on it as an option. Right. The I guess it's a matter of deciding where you want your complexity. You can either put a servo in each wing panel, or you can uh, have aileron linkages, like hardware linkages between the top and the bottom. Hmm. So I'm not sure which one's tougher, but I'm going to be doing the four-servo setup. Well, I'd like to look forward to hearing a report on that. Does it have, does it have, does it have a, splat, a flat spot under the canopy for a gyro? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see. I don't see that little tag there on features. Wow. Well, I'm sending it back. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly an oversight. They'll fix that. Yeah, that one uses the Rimfire 55, the room correctly right yeah that's the one they recommend so they actually talk about i don't know if i'd call it over propping a little bit but when you look at that motor and their suggested props that they have i think it tops out at like a 158 or a 1510 on 6s mm. but then in the manual for the airplane they say well we actually like the 168 a little better so you just you know be careful that you're not running full throttle all the time uh, yeah so. or even tall grass yeah, that kind of stuff. What, and I'm I'm at 3,200 feet altitude, so I tend to go on the higher end of prop recommendations anyway. So I don't expect any problems. What size glow engine is that for? Gosh, I want to say a 35 or something like that. No, it's 46 and higher, or an 80 well, four-stroke. <clears throat> really, really an 80 four-stroke. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, I have a question for you, Terry, while we're on this plane. So I, I happened to chat with a guy at the, the local hobby shop, and we were talking about servos. So for this plane, are you going to stick with just standard servos, digital servos, or other? I'll be using analog servos. Okay. 
tactic oh I forget the the number on them, but it's the tactic servos that they recommend. Or the TSX twenties, which are not full size and not many, it's somewhere in between. But I figure with with four of them, the precision isn't quite as I don't think I need digital servos, let me put it that way. Yeah, the loads are gonna be pretty light with playing that size. <laughs> Until Terry gets a hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't expect any problems server-wise, but I'll let you know. And you'll have that done next week, right? Uh, how about tomorrow? Wow. All right. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I've gone through the whole thing. I just haven't started turning screws yet. So I'm hoping maybe to start on that later today. And while it is an ARF, it's a true ARF. you got to glue some stuff. you got to cut some stuff. I think you got to do some hinges. So it's not just a bolt-together deal. That's good. I'm happy they came up with a nice one. The Ultimates are always a neat planes to see fly and fly. I've had a small one before. And uh, glad they came up with a nice ARF version of it. We'll look forward to your final report on that. I shall try not to disappoint. (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So I promised that if we had any information concerning the lawsuit with Taylor, John Taylor and the FAA, we'd post it. We did see a response from the FAA. We did post the PDF file on our Facebook page. But for those of you who may have missed it, uh, the FAA l- legal babbled the heck out of John Taylor's uh, brief. And in a nutshell, <laughs> I love I, I've talked to Terry about this uh, earlier. It's, you know. We own the sky, so deal with it. And that's that's pretty much how this this dialogue is scripted. Um, every every case, every point he made, they just tacked back. You know, the government allows us to do it, so move on. Uh, the government allows us to do that, so move on. So we do encourage you to read the brief. It's not too long, but it gives you an idea of what we're up against. I don't. I don't think anything will happen. Uh, sadly, I think the, the case as it is, they're going to have the government the on their side, and, and it's just going to be, uh, in this case, I think, just swept under the rug. The, nothing, no, no, there's not going to be any really weighted to fight back. Uh, it's sad, um, but I did read the entire thing, and they just kept saying, well, we could do this, we could do that, um, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, sad, sad response, I know. But if, but John did mention in one of the emails because I had uh, put some comments out there on the thread and and had some questions and he said if anybody can read through this and see if they have any opinion or responses that we can take back, uh, let him know. So he is eagerly searching for solutions that you know things they they may have missed that we can try to keep the case going. Well, for anybody who didn't hear when you talked about this. In the last show, give the the quick synopsis of what this case is about. John Taylor is an independent RC pilot. He happens to fly multi-rotors. But when the FAA came out last year with the registration process, he 
was upset with many of us, but even more surprised that there weren't any lawsuits going against the FAA when, in fact, most of us believed, uh, based on Rule 336, that this was against the law, that the FAA did not have the authority to begin the registration process of pilots, especially for those who were hobbyists. So he submitted a case brief, I guess, uh, against them. It was accepted in the courts. And at the time, it was the old, well, there was only two, excuse me, that were going on. Uh, one by Tech Freedom was uh, uh, ignored, dropped, and his was the only case still in trial against the FAA. And a lot of us who had read it thought we had a good position. And unfortunately, with the FAA's response, they just used so much, you know, of, I don't know, cases, I guess, uh, to support that they had to do it. Do I believe it's right? No, not at all. I still think that they're breaking the law, but from what I've read, we're going to be stuck with the registration system. Yeah, is there any sort of timeline for a response, or do you know? I do not know. Hmm, okay. I guess until then, no news is good news. And again, stop. if you are on Facebook, and hopefully you like our Facebook page, the the group you want to go look at is called UAV Legal News and Discussion. And you should join that if this is something that interests you and there's a lot of talk about the, the special rule and um, the FAA, our fight with the FAA, plus uh, the new uh, 107. Now, I think that is a moderated group. You, you can't just join without being approved. And I have no idea what the qualifications for being approved are. But It's a public group. Is it? Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. I must have it confused with another then. Good to know. All right. Well, to be continued. Now, speaking of our Facebook page, I wanted to mention that going back a few episodes ago, we have been talking about the different micro B25s that recently came out. Um, I spoke a little bit about my experience with the E-Flight micro B25, and uh, one of our listeners, uh, Nicholas Turner, who writes for Real RC Reviews, which is a website, he's done a review on the FlyZone version, and uh, he's put a link out there on our Facebook page, or you can just go to realrcreviews.com and look at that. And uh, he's done a good job with it. He's got video and a written report, so he gives a good synopsis of what that thing's all about. So it looks like it's a, a good flyer. Yeah, I uh, I need to I need to look through the whole video because, as I mentioned, I love my P thirty eight fly zone, and since it's not made anymore, I wonder if the B twenty five would have a similar flight characteristics. I believe he said that the power system is the same, so I would expect similar performance. Cool beans. Okay, well, I know this is the RC roundtable. But like many of you guys, I started my hobby with plastic models. And I still like to build plastic models very much. I've got too many of them. And one of these years when I retire, I'm going to sit back and just build them all. (laughs) Anyways, uh, this past uh, week or last week or so, uh, they have what they call the IPMS, the International Plastic Modeler Society. They have little mini events around the country and then every year at a different location each year they have 
what they call the Nationals. This is uh, the main event for the best of the best of plastic model builders. Uh, and this was held in South Carolina this year, Columbia, South Carolina. And I thought, uh, what a great opportunity for me to actually try to attend the Nationals for the first time in my life since I have family in South Carolina, and I thought it'd be nice to go see some people I haven't seen in a while. And at the same time, along with having free lodging, I can go attend the IPMS since I also had a, I belong to a plastic model club here in my city, and one or two people from the Houston were also going to be there. So I knew some people that were there, and I just wanted to get a flavor for what it was like. I didn't actually bring any models, but I brought my camera and some money and went out there, and it was really fantastic. A lot of models. I didn't get a final count, but it was easily a thousand models there of everything. And this, they have all kinds of classes. And a lot of times they'll have to break up the classes because they have too many models. And so instead of just having cars and airplanes, the airplanes may be broken up into allied aircraft, German aircraft, and non-German aircraft, and multi-engine and whatever of different sizes and scales because just so many. I, I take, I go through the room, take a bunch of pictures, come back a few hours later, there's a whole bunch of more models there. It was just constantly busy. And, and you name it, it was there. They had ships, planes, cars, science fiction, uh, submarines, really neat stuff. Uh, both out of the box, scratch built, dioramas. This was really, really nice. Oh, you can get up and close and look at them, take pictures, often talk to the people who even built the models. And I had a great time there. And there's also a big dealer's room. You can buy all kinds of plastic modeler kits uh, and supplies. Some vendors were there. You could talk to some of the main vendors. I think Tamiya was there offering some new kits and new things. And, and uh, I had a nice chit-chat with a company out of Japan that makes really nice models. You guys got to look this up. They're, uh, it's called the, – the, the company name is called Zukimura. And uh, I think they're relatively new as far as plastic models. But these – make incredible scale models and it's not just a typical model where you you kind of put it together and paint it these have almost a complete set of interior like um, of ribs and stringers and that kind of stuff and much of the, the fuselage and wings are actually clear plastic so you can either paint it or leave it clear and so you can have build a model that's in the construction stage or you just want to show off the insides it is almost the, the next best thing to actually building a real airplane out of uh, parts, uh, very scale-like, and they're fairly large. He's a large-scale plane, 132nd scale, 148th scale, uh, mostly World War II. What really stood out was uh, Dornier 335, I guess is a new kit that has all kinds of bits and stuff you can see inside, and a Horton 229, which was just amazing. Uh, it's one of those things that to build it and cover it and paint it would be a crime because it has so many internal parts as you can see as far as the engine and fuel tanks and controls, controls and control surfaces and ribbing and stringers. It's it just amazing. Even if you're not into plastic models, I'd say go look this up and take a look at it. It's called their Super Wing Series. And I actually talked. How do you talk spell that? Super? Not super Wing. S U P E R W I N. Zuki Mora spelled Z O U. K E I, and then second word is M U R A. Okay. Zukimura, and they have a, a West Coast distributor. I actually ended up buying a book. They have a series of these little books that are it's interesting. They're a combination of builder's guide and technical manuals for different aircraft. 
and I picked one up for one of my favorite planes, the Shinden. And uh, it has lots of historical information. Uh, they're, they're in English. Actually, English and Japanese is sort of a half-and-half half book, but they're really nice. And I actually, one of these years, I'm going to build our radio-controlled Shinden, so I picked this up as a reference material. It's got some really nice stuff in it. So we did a lot of work. So, cool. so I spent a really good and nice long weekend out there, and uh, when I plan to put up some pictures and stuff, and you can see some of the really neat stuff that came out. I like that aluminum yep. P-47. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looked good. Now, on the Zukimura kits, the internal details, is that two-sided molding, or is it separate pieces? They're separate pieces, because they had some kits that had no skin on them. They were just a framework. Gotcha. So you okay. can build it just a, the skeleton, if you want, without even putting the outside structure on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see the Horton now. Yeah, that's interesting. These are amazing. And what kind of cost are you looking at for kits like this? Yeah, they weren't cheap. I think the DL-335 was like 170 bucks or something like that. Okay. Uh, that's... Most of them hovered around 100 bucks. And that's for a 132nd scale for kit? The, yeah, for the 132nds. The 148s, I believe, were less than 100. 60, 70s, I believe. Well, they're very interesting. Yeah, they're really nice. These also probably would make good reference material if you were to build an RC model to scale. And you could get one of these kits and you can see all the amazing engine detail and other stuff if you wheel well detail and that kind of stuff. I'm not into that much detail. Not on my RC models. I, I like to make it so that I don't cry if I crash it. <laughs> yeah, we had a club member here that's lost two, three really nice scale airplanes in the past year or two. Oh, no. Yeah. So I know some guys in my club here, they won't even maiden an airplane until every last rivet has been put on there and every final detail, which, good for them, whatever they like. But, man, to me, as soon as it's ready to fly, I'm going to go maiden it and make sure I'm not polishing a turd. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been known to fly planes that weren't, weren't even fully covered yet just to see the thing flew. <laughs> that would be difficult. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, wing, that left wing doesn't need to be covered, does it? <laughs> Just fly faster. <laughs> well, you know, it was wood. It was wood sheeted foam, so I just didn't cover the wood. I know. <laughs> so, when it comes to this get together, you said it's the best of the best for plastic models. Does that mean it's an invitational type deal, or you just kind of know if you're good enough to to hang? Yeah, you have to know that you're good enough to hang. There is no pre-qualifier. Uh, a lot of times guys will go to the local chapter contests and see how their models will do. And if they place really well there, then they'll, they'll consider taking them to the nationals. But you could certainly enter something you put together with glue and glue marks and fingerprints all over it and stick it in there. You're not going to win anything, but uh, it's it's sort of known that the, the, the if you want to win an award, you have to be really, really good. And so you have to be really critical of what you're entering into the contest. Interesting. So it's self, self-regulated. Sort of. So of all the stuff you saw there, what just blew you away? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a science fiction fan. So there were a couple of things that really was really neat. The first thing that stands out, I guess, is the 
Somebody scratch-built two of the blockade runners from Star Wars. These were the ships seen uh, that had Princess Leia in the, in the first movie back that was made back in the 70s, A New Hope, where she's running away from Darth Vader, and he ends up capturing the ship and sucking it inside a Star Destroyer. Uh, it's a big ship that had like uh, 10 engines on it or something like that, and you see it in the very first beginning of the movie. So this person had scratch-built two of them, and they were huge. They probably were at least three feet long, completely lit up. One looked like just out of the movie, and the other one, he took some liberties with the paint scheme, and even had a World War II-era-like nose art on it of Princess Leia in a really uh, sexy pose, sitting on a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) I took a picture of it. It was really hilarious. Uh, And it had interior lighting, and it had a a scene inside. You look in the windows, you can see stormtroopers firing on rebel soldiers inside this thing. Oh, wow. It was fantastic. It was really amazing. Uh, and somebody also had a big Starship Enterprise. It, had a, it was fully lit up from the old series back in the 60s. They make a big kit of it. It's a couple of feet long. It had all kinds of lights and stuff in it. And that was really nice, too. Some really nice dioramas. There was one diorama where it was of a German flak tower, and it was huge. And it had a little slit you could look in the back and get the sort of scale point of view of looking at this thing and the, and the guns and all kinds of stuff. So people really went crazy. Wow. So even if you're not into plastic models, if you hear of, there's an IPMS website, I think it's IPMS USA, you can look them up on Google, and they typically have these smaller events in all the states. So if you see one coming up, make a point to go take a look at it. You'll be really amazed. Cool. I'll check it out. But just to be clear, they don't do anything, right? They just sit there? No, actually, some do move. Uh... They don't, you know, they don't fly, but I saw some that had propellers were spinning or the lights were flickering uh, or that kind of stuff. Sometimes they might have some animatronics. It's usually lights and motors for the most part. Okay. I was trying to goad you, but... Oh, I... I <laughs> but... <laughs> they fly if you throw no, them hard you, enough. You uh, blasted right through it. Good job. <laughs> Well, you two guys are full-scale airplane fans, so I wanted to ask if you were aware of the the recent Solar Impulse 2, I guess you would call it a mission, but probably more accurate to call it a feat. So did you guys follow that at all? Yes. (laughs) I didn't really follow it very closely. (laughs) I guess I'm the odd man out. I, I, I knew of it and saw some things here and there, but I didn't follow all that closely. I guess I just wasn't all that excited about it. It wasn't very fast news, Terry. (laughs) It had been going on for many, many, many weeks. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I was like Fitz. I'm like, all right, this is going on, but there was something about it that didn't really grab my attention. Um, But I saw a blurb that said they had finished this around-the-world flight in a solar-powered airplane. So I said, all right, I'll go check it out. And I'm glad I did, because this thing is fascinating. How fascinating Um, is it? Fascinating. <laughs> the airplane itself is pretty neat. It reminds me of the old uh, the Gossamer Condor, which was what a human-powered airplane back in the day. Had to fly across um, the channel. It, yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like it's made out of popsicle sticks and tissue paper, but it's not. It's you know obviously carbon fiber and the skin. At least everything on top is solar arrays. 
Um, it's got four motors, four brushless motors that have gear drives. They're turning props that are four meters in four diameter, meters. which is like, kind of huge. It's like 13 and, feet? Yeah, just over. And each motor can do 17 and a half horsepower at full tilt. And here's the part that first got my attention. <laughs> That's a it's lot got, of prop for a little motor. <laughs> well, I don't know how big these motors are. Well, I'm sure they're meaty, but yeah, it's it's a brushless motor. Yeah, 17 horsepower. Not not something you buy from GWS, right? No, uh, no. no. <laughs> um, but while you're talking about hobby companies, it uses lithium polymer batteries made by Kokum, the company that was big in RC not yeah. that long ago. So they're, they're still around, huh? from the RC scene, but they're still around doing commercial stuff. Have they mo- finally moved up from 10C? At <laughs> least like 12C batteries? <laughs> right. Yeah, they had 13 million of the 720 milliamp hour batteries. No, um, I, I don't know exactly what size batteries they are, but they said specifically they're the soft casing uh, lipo cells like we would have for RC and so here's the part that really, well, I don't even know how to say it. The more I read about it, the more fascinating it was. But it would be a fascinating project. It was, like I mentioned, an around-the-world flight, which is 41,000 kilometers, 23,000 miles, whatever you want to call it. Um, it wasn't one continuous flight, but it was a series of 17 legs that took place over 16 months. And they started months. out in Abu Dhabi and made you know, all these different waypoints along the way. But it's only traveling at 40-something miles an hour average. So a lot of these legs were multiple days. So to me, the obvious question is, well, how does a solar-powered airplane stay aloft in the middle of the night? And it, it's crazy how they did this. But during the day... When they had bright sunshine, all those solar arrays had enough power to uh, propel the motors to climb up to, it was almost 30,000 feet. So they would climb up, and at the same time it was charging all those batteries. And then when the sun went down, they would shut down the motors and glide. And they would glide for four hours down to 5,000 feet. And then once I got to 5,000 feet, they would kick the motors on, and it was efficient enough that they could run through the rest of darkness just on the batteries. And then when the sun came back up, they'd start the whole thing all over again. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of obvious once you think about it that you would cash in your potential energy and whatever electrical energy you'd stored. But it was you know, it's that close a thing, and it's critical that they do that. They can't just rely on one or the other. And they also had to watch the weather to make sure they weren't going to have too much cloud cover when they would be at lower altitudes to make sure they had adequate sunshine. I imagine jet streams, too, were an issue. They should be careful. Yeah. I, I read one part where they set some speed record for the trip while they were in the jet stream. And I think at that point they were doing like 100 miles an hour or 100 knots. I forget which units it was. But when you consider the plane they were doing it in, that seems like, you know, Mach 5. Yeah. So, that's an incredible glide ratio to be able to glide for four hours from 30,000 feet to 5,000. Yeah, and I didn't calculate the wing loading, but it has the same wingspan as the Airbus A380, the huge one. But it weighs the same as a um, like a T6 Texan, 5,000 pounds. So that's wow. a heck of a lot of wing for yeah. 
not a whole lot of weight. And when you combine all four motors together, that's about 70 horsepower, which they rarely used all of. So anyway, I just felt like the accomplishment had been somewhat overlooked by the, the larger community, myself included. But then once I looked into this thing, I'm like, wow, this is huge. So, yeah, I agree. It's uh, a yeah, amazing... Spread the word. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of engineering and planning and, re and energy management all wrapped into one. I think, yeah. I think the problem that it's not appreciated as much is because we're in a society where everything has to be next day, it, it took so long to fly around. And I know they had, uh, I think it was in China, but they had some serious weather that grounded them for several weeks. Yeah, the original plan was to go from China all the way to Hawaii, and it was going to be, I believe, a seven-day trip all in one leg. And two days into it, they figured out that they were going to have questionable weather over the Pacific, so they uh, went to Japan to land and wait for the weather. And they ended up waiting for about a month before they had good enough weather to go from Japan to Hawaii, which was still a five-day trip. So nothing to sneeze at there. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not... Uh, certainly not putting down the uh, the huge achievement. It's that the reason the media just couldn't sell it, I guess, to people and make it sound exciting is that it was just it seemed to be going on forever. So some people probably thought, oh, didn't they already make it? Didn't I see them land already? Didn't weren't they in the news already? So they they may have thought it had already been done. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to maintain any level of excitement about something like this when it does go on for sixteen months. So. Good. Did they talk about uh, accommodation for the pilot? Was there an autopilot system? And you're going to be stuck in this thing for days. Food, water, and other biological necessities kind of creep up. Yeah, when you look at the cockpit, it it's actually pretty roomy. But you know, when they're stuck in it for five days, it doesn't seem so roomy anymore. But they had one seat, one pilot at a time flew it. There were two pilots that traded shifts for the legs. Um, but it was only one guy at a time on board. And that one seat was his... Uh, piloting seat, his bed, and his toilet. And it's an unpressurized cabin, so anytime they were above 12,000 feet, he was on bottled oxygen. And it did have a glass cockpit with uh, autopilot, and it also had a satellite link to a mission control center in Monaco, so they had engineers and other people who were monitoring the systems. But even with all that, they didn't want the pilots sleeping on a normal schedule. If something were to happen in the middle of the night, they wanted them fresh to deal with it. So these guys trained themselves to sleep in 20-minute increments multiple times throughout the day, rather than having one seven- or eight-hour sleep period at night. Wow. So when they were on those five-day runs, they were just sleeping 20 minutes at a time several times a day, which I don't think I could do that. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I did see a video of the, uh, one of the pilots being interviewed, I think, before the last leg, and he was showing the cockpit, and the guy had asked him about sleeping, and he just pointed to this little cheap digital timer that was, you know, magnetically attached to the <laughs> to the cockpit. He said, we just pushed this, I think it was for four-hour increments. You guys would just push this and put it on autopilot, and just close our eyes. I wake up when it goes off, and I fly again. <laughs> <laughs> just like that. Yeah, it, you wonder if four days into it, they're like, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he caught any Pokemon while he was up there. Did he Did he drop any blue ice? 
<laughs> anyway, the, their website is fabulous. It's got a lot of information on there. Uh, so I would recommend anybody who has any interest in this, even if you don't have interest in it, do yourself a favor and go look at it and, and find out about this thing. It's uh, solarimpulse.com. And I wrote a little article about it. I'll put a link to on our site, um, which is kind of a synopsis of everything I just said. Um, but anyway, I I don't know how it stayed such a secret for so long. It's really a cool thing they did. Probably because it was a Swiss thing and not American. <laughs> yeah, not our idea. Forget it. Well, what, what was the? I mean, and you know what? It's sad. What was Rutan's plane? The one that went around the world too. The Voyager. Yeah, was it? What was the, uh, how long did it take him to go around? Mm, I don't know. A couple of days, wasn't it? Yeah. Two person yeah. though, right? Yeah. Right. And that was nonstop. Yeah. Gas powered. Gasp. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> can do that. <laughs> All right, then we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Well, good news, everybody. What's that? We have a new crash video, right? Everybody loves crash videos. <laughs> Except the ones that are in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody likes to star in crash videos. They just like to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have Crash Smashy Volume 2. As I guess we still haven't grown up yet, so we still call them Crash Smashy. Yeah, I think we're stuck with it now. Crashy Smashy. Crashy Smashy. We'll live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Live it, love it, watch it. Yeah. So, who wants to describe it? Uh, it's not much to describe. It's planes crashing. You're done. That was it. Although, How's that topic, guy? Yeah. <laughs> we can move well, on. I think it's worth. <laughs> it's probably worth noting that all this stuff and all these that we'll do were planes that were either being flown by us or video that was taken by us. We're not searching for crashes on the web and compiling them. This is all our personal stash, if you will. And the one at the end of this video is spectacular. You want to talk about that one a little bit, Lee? I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> it's true, it's true, so true traumatic, sad. Traumatic. <laughs> you get your PTS from uh, watching it? Well, it's, it's, it's sad. I think I'd be even more sad if I had been videotaping Fuddy Duddy on its last flight at Bomber. But this is actually one that was taken at Bomber. It was another B-17 that was flying with Fuddy Duddy about uh, three years ago, three or four years ago. And a uh, guy was coming in and probably should have cut the engines. <laughs> yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. That's all I can say about that. It was a rough, it was a bounce landing and things go bad from there so uh, the... it builds slowly but man uh, yeah he should have lived with the bounce <laughs> he should have li- yep that was that was it so i won't ruin it go please uh, go check out the video you may have seen it on the on the inter- internet i've uh that was i think the most watched video i have on youtube so for good reason very sad but there you go we, have a, we have a good crashy smashy volume two out there now you were there for this crash. What was the pilot's reaction? You're just drawing this out. <laughs> I, I want to know because you know, I see crashes all the time and people react differently. Some guys laugh about it 
and some jump up and down and some throw their transmitter. This was a particularly bad one, so I'm just wondering what sort of reaction um, it solicited. Yeah, did he throw his transmitter on the ground? And, and... I, if if I'm not mistaken, he... this is the part that will make you you know cringe and squint your eyes. I don't think it was his plane. Oh, yeah, whoa. I think he was flying this for somebody else. And just in and, and, and case y'all haven't seen the video yet and you're listening to this podcast, it is a big B-17. It's got to be, what, 120-inch, 140-inch uh, wingspan? Yeah I, would, yeah, I would say at least. And to me, it's pretty obvious that it's not any kind of mechanical failure. It, it's all pilot. I, oh, yeah, if you watch the video, probably. I think what happened is kind of like Fuddy Duddy. If you watch closely, that left wing dipped down on the first bump. I think he lost an engine on that first hit. And I think when he pop throttled up to go around, you can tell there's just way too much yaw. Way too I much don't know. You hear the throttle up, and then you can see the elevator go up a lot. And then. That the rest is history. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Terry. Well, I'm not saying it was the engine's fault. This was completely pilot error. So, yeah, you. I think he should have stopped. I'll have to look at it in slow motion, but I'm of the opinion that all those motors were running just fine <laughs> until until they weren't. It was a, <laughs> all right. Well, they just human say user. it out is it's a crashy smashy, and yeah. Save the best And that's us. half the fun. You get to analyze it. You be your own little NTSB. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I'm, I know that uh, Randy would say it was his fault for, you know, hitting the deck so hard, but boy, that was, it was, he was so close from coming all the way around. But once he was on one engine, there's just no chance. Now you're talking fuddy duddy. Yeah, now I was, I was just saying, and okay. Randy would say his was definitely pilot error. He wouldn't balk. Well, sure. All right, so let's uh, see what we have on our workbench. Who wants to go first? I'll make mine quick. <laughs> I'll make, uh, some are still busy. Haven't gotten a lot done. The P-38 is still uh, being painted, but I've kind of switched back to that um, Hobby Shack Cessna 177. So I've been getting the foam all together, picked up a whole bunch of acrylic paint at Walmart. They have some different brands I hadn't seen before, so I'm going to give some a try. And I uh, have a Harbor Freight airbrush kit, just a cheap one, but I picked up a, a one that was a little larger this time, and I'm going to do an acrylic paint job on the whole Cessna and then seal it with uh, water-based polyurethane when I'm done. So hopefully I'll have that done within the next uh, week or two. I'll put pictures up on Remind me about this Hobby Shack plan. This was that $20 box of foam. <laughs> I got it at a swap meet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay. basically just uh, making stuff up as I go along. So, anyway. Were they originally electric powered? No. Okay. The guy who had it just really made a mess of it. He didn't even get close to finishing, but the nose was... Gosh, it, it couldn't have been Ambroid. But if it was Epoxy, it was very, very orange. Bright orange yeah. like Ambroid. So he had put the uh, gas motor mount on. I've taken it off. So I have all my electric gear ready for it. And I've, I mean, I'm getting close. But as soon as I get it painted, um, she'll be moseying along pretty quick. What size engine was it for? In, for originally, it was a 15 size. Yeah. Okay. But because I'm, it's really lightweight, I'm putting a pretty, I think I'm putting a 20, 
2820? No. What is that? 28? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think if it's millimeters. It's like 28 slash 30 millimeter motor. 800 kV. Okay. Uh, speed 400-ish glass. Uh, it's glass. it's more of a 500. Do I hear 501? <laughs> 501, 502, whatever it takes. Yeah, she's real light, so I, she doesn't need much. And it's just a, it's a fun little plane. It's nothing, not a, a project I'm dreaming about. So uh, I'm, and I don't think I've ever used. No, I take that back. I have airbrushed acrylic on before, so. Um, but I don't know if I'd use the water-based polyurethane to seal it, so I, it might be fun to do. Hmm. That's it. Nothing else. Well, I haven't been doing too much, uh, mainly repairs. Uh, I I dinged my mosquito at way back when when I went to Arkansas to the small steps. I had a bad landing and knocked her nose off, so I needed to re-glue that. Finally got around to doing that last night, and... Uh, did I talk about fixing the Apprentice bent motor shaft on the previous show? I don't remember if I told you guys about that. I don't know if that was a show topic or just a sideline conversation, uh, but I remember you talking about having to fix a bent shaft on a on a motor. Yeah, I ended up pulling out the old shaft and putting in a new, brand new shaft for a guy. Uh, I had to use a drill press to push out the old shaft, even though I took all the set screws out because it was just really tight in there. So, uh, So that was another repair I did. And I still got to repair my little Spitfire, and I had to do some work on a little E-Flight T6 Texan I had. I was about to fly it the other day, and I noticed the aileron on the right side just stopped working correctly. It just drooped down and stayed there. Turns out I had a servo gear that stripped out for some unknown reason. Good thing I found it just before I took off. Ooh. And, yeah, <laughs> that was a close one. I don't know how it stripped. I don't, it's one weird thing. So I had a little repair work on that. And I guess that's about it. It's been, I haven't really spent too much time in the workshop lately, probably because it's been a thousand degrees outside. And even though it's air conditioned, it's still hot out there. Uh, but, uh, I'll get to working on some stuff. I got a couple of things I think I might get working on. Uh, I did talk about, I think I mentioned I picked up one of those hog wild coroplast planes. I think I'm going to finally get around to getting that flying and see how that goes. So I guess that's really the next thing on the workbench. Let you know how that goes. And I think that's it for me. All right. Well, I need to follow your lead because uh, I've got a lot of repair work to do that hasn't been started yet. The um, Warbird event coming up, I crashed my uh, Corsair last year. I've got a 60-inch Corsair that flies on a 6S pack. Anyway, I broke the firewall, firewall off last year. Not a big deal. I just need to glue it back into place and do some patching. Is that the one in the video? So that's in the video. No, that's not okay. me. Um, I don't think I had video of mine um, since I was flying. Um, so I've got that. And then the F-14 that I've talked about forever that I got from Fitz, I was finally going to fly that. I think it was last weekend or maybe the weekend before I took it out to the field and got it all set up. And then a buddy there needed some help with his trainer. So I buddy boxed with him. And as we're taxing his trainer back in, this rogue wind came along and uh, picked up the F-14 into the air, flipped it upside down and it landed on the concrete upside down and broke off both of the vertical stabilizers. Okay. So I need to fix that before I can try it again. Okay. Yeah. 
I think it's cursed. I mentioned that to you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you put the curse on it or someone who had it before you, but it's it's cursed. I got to figure out a way to break that. And other than that, I need to get some work done on that gas plane that I have now, the Val. It hasn't been flown in a couple of years, so I bought some new fuel tubing for it, and I need to install that and then go through and make sure everything's working. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. I was going to look forward to seeing how that runs. You might check the carburetor, too. Is there any uh, rebuild kits or anything for the carb if it hasn't been running so long? That might be an issue. I'm sure there are kits. It's a DLE 30, which is a very popular engine. So I'm not sure if it requires it yet, but that'll be part of my inspection to, to see how that's faring. So I was hoping to have it ready for the Warbird event, which is August 26th through the 28th. Um, it's looking less likely now, but I'm going to try to get after it. And that's about it for me. Oh, and building the Tower Ultimate. That's also on the short list. Oh, yeah. Fresh on the bench. Yeah. Let's look at the fresh airplane smell. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. And uh, I appreciate everybody for joining us. And, guys, great to get together again for a short time. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Hasta la pasta, baby. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOF LP Las Vegas.